Hello everybody, welcome to the Online Tennis Podcast, episode 15. It's me, Jack, and my co-host. Gavin, yeah. Good morning. It's been it's been a couple of weeks due to the Wi-Fi problems. Um, I've yeah, had, Gav's been uh, a MIA for a while. It's, yeah, I've been using up all the data on my phone. I keep getting these texts from me trying to get me to sign up to unlimited data because the amount of 4G I've abused. You know, wasn't wasn't ideal. Um, not a good one as a tennis tournament on. Well, you managed to catch the the finals this week at least, and I'm I'm assuming you saw quite a lot of the tennis this week. Yeah, in general. yeah, I, did. I watched it for about Wednesday onwards. That's really when the Wi-Fi sort of properly came back on. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. not sort of a lot of the latter stages, and um, yeah, no, it was a really good tournament. I like the the court surface and stuff. I think the slow hard courts actually is better to watch um, than the fast mm-hmm. ones. It might be a controversial one, but I think you get more rallies. I no, think you've yeah, still yeah. got those big power hitters that can still hit through the court, but I think it kind of gives the guys with not as much pop, it kind of brings them into the match more. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a pretty good segue onto who actually made the, the, the finals and semi-finals of Indian Wells. We had Cam Norrie versus Basil Ashville in the male, men's side, so that's literally the polar opposites, I guess. The big, yeah, yeah, the big hitters and the, the, um, the unpickers is what mm-hmm. I'd call Cam Norrie, somebody who unpicks somebody's game. And on the women's side, we had Azarenka and Bedosa. Bedosa, did you know, both of them are, are pretty big hitters there as well. And obviously, we got that in the, the final. Yeah. An absolutely amazing women's final. It was incredible. It really was. Um, so we'll cover the, the, the whole of both draws, basically the men's and the women's side, the most interesting things that happened in either side of the draw. And then we'll cover the final a little bit on, and the semi-final, I guess, and on how the, the, the winners came through there, basically. Um, and certainly, I'm sure our, our listeners will be keen to know how Cam Norrie got through, you know, six six people in a row. In fairness, if you've watched tennis all year, it's not too surprising for some people, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be very confused. And <laughs> this seems a little bit out of nowhere, sort of Raducanu-esque. It's not completely out of nowhere, though. Yeah, well done, Cam, in general. Um, I think we'll start on the men's side, and then we'll work our way yeah. up to, to the Cam Norrie review and how he did it all, basically. I think start with just the oddity of this event this is the first masters ever where the semi-finals didn't include a top 25 player so that's in 280 events inside the top 20 i think it's the first semi-finals where so it's the first semi-finals where a top 20 player wasn't included since 1992 in monte carlo so that's about 20, 30 years 30 29 years um, so yeah, very, very odd for Cam Norrie, Nicholas Basel, Ashvili, Igor Dimitrov and Taylor Fritz to be in the semi-finals, certainly. I think the most interesting thing we can talk about is the fact that the top players didn't show up, maybe. No, maybe not, didn't show up. Well, I don't want to be too harsh. Probably, probably fair. I mean, Rublev was a big disappointment for me. I thought he had a good chance after the US Open disappointment to kind of really stamp his authority on the, towards the end of the season. And, um, you know, when you look at the the court surface, you know, slow, slow hard court should actually give him more time to kind of wind up in his ground strokes. Um, he made the doubles final, though. But, um, he did, yeah. It is. Silver linings. I, I just think with Rublev, it's like, I love the passion that he shows, but, like, sometimes he just gets too annoyed with himself, like, every point, you know, he's punching his racket. You know, I think it doesn't help him. Um, I think sometimes he maybe needs to develop a plan B as well. Sometimes it's just hit hard, and if that doesn't work, hit harder. You know, it's mm-hmm. like there's yeah. no variety to his game compared to, say, maybe a Medvedev. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're looking at Rublev first, so Rublev lost to Tommy Paul in the round of 32, I think. 
Tommy Paul's actually a guy who's given him quite a lot of grief in the past. He's he's not won a match yet or hadn't won a match prior to that, but he had it been three very close matches when they had played two of them this year. He's well, Tommy Paul. I mean, he's, he's yeah, yeah, he's a good player. Um, I think it's the back, it's the backhand to backhand for me, Gav, as well. Um, Rublev's got a decent backhand, but obviously the forehand's the, the money shot, obviously in it. And you know, if, if he can't, if he can't go backhand to backhand on a slow court for longer you're than not, his opponent, yeah, you're, you're not going to be winning. I know. Yeah, just interesting though because like he's got so much power. And uh, I thought at the start of the season when he was winning the five hundreds when he won in uh, Rotterdam, I thought this could be a really big year for him. And then he beats Nadal in uh, Monte Carlo, and I thought, wow, this is. You know, this is seriously looking like this could be a really, really good season. It just it's sort of fallen away a wee bit. Yeah, he's had moments of disappointment. You know, it's, it's kind of been highs and lows. Obviously, he got to the Cincinnati final. Um, but then you think about Wimbledon, had a pretty bad loss to Fusevich after, you know, you know 4-0 prior yeah. to that match and stuff. And I think US Open, he lost to TFO as well. Yeah, TFO, US Open. And it's like... Yeah, so, so uh, both in five sets, you know, he's, he's always coming quite close, but he's I mean, not quite that, there. That Cincinnati final, he was totally blown away as well. Like, it was over within 20 minutes, half an hour. So yeah, like... I would say that's a totally different issue for Rublev. He, he doesn't seem to have the game to quite beat the guys ranked above him. Obviously, he's five in the world now, so there's not many people ranked above him. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's just a plan B. Like, when he's overhitting, I don't think he's kind of got the variety that other players have to get themselves out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Probably the most interesting stories, though, not Rublev, I would say Medvedev is probably the most interesting was, loss out of the three. Out of the new big three, I would say. Yeah, that, that, yeah, to be fair, there will be the narrative of oh, Medvedev, you know, he, he blew it, he threw it away. But actually, if you watched Dimitrov in that final set, it was nearly unplayable. Like it was, it was going to be very yeah. difficult for Medvedev to get through that. I mean, okay, you could say that maybe a couple of crucial points towards the end of the second set, Medvedev, you know, played some poor points. But like, if you look at the third set onwards, like whole third set, Dimitrov was just that's the best I've seen Dimitrov play. I, I'm comfortable to say that's the best I've seen him play in his career. That that one set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like on the run, uh, out wide in the forehand side, unbelievable the amount of gets he was getting, the, the flexibility he had on that side just to hit cross court when he was pushed on the run on the forehand side was just, it was I I couldn't believe some of the some of the shots he was hit. I've got some uh, stats for you actually, Gav. So that third set, I'd be inclined to agree with you definitely. I think Medvedev stepped up his game a bit, but uh, Dimitrov stepped up his game even further. That second set when Medvedev was up four one, a double break. He proceeded to make two of 17 first serves yep, over totally the course not. of the last... <laughs> yeah, was, it's, like, I, it's like I walked onto the court and served. That's how, that's how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was taking notes. He served out and uh, I balls it up, as I always do. <laughs> so. he, was, he did say, so he said after the match, apparently the balls were very um, fluffy. You know, certainly when he got the new balls, they were very fluffy, very difficult for him to control. Mm. It looked, it was certainly looked that way. He, was, he couldn't find the court with a first serve for a while. Dimitrov was playing well enough that he, you know, it's not like Medvedev was necessarily playing badly from the baseline, but what I would say Dimitrov was um, doing particularly well was was his slice. He was he was giving him a rain of slices, and Medvedev yeah. obviously doesn't like to hit up on a, a low ball necessarily, you know, because yeah. exactly of how flat he plays. Um, so it was, a, it was a winning tactic, certainly. It's difficult to execute. I think Dimitrov is one of the only guys in the tour that can execute it. I don't know mm. if you agree with that. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how many people have as good a slice. Well, Federer probably. Federer is the guy who comes to That's mind, the obviously. Guy that probably yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. But yeah, there's not many that hit the slice that consistently. So, um, yeah, no, you're right about that. And it's got a lot of spin on it. So he's got one of the, the most technically 
able slices on the tour there's more i mean and a lot of the new gen don't really have that i can't think of anybody mm. with as developed as slices to meet Jov. so yeah you know he was managed he managed to unpick medvedev by doing that so credit to him even though medvedev, you know he did kind of let him back into the game a little bit obviously if medvedev's in full flow you don't expect him to lose four service games in a row which is what he said after the match you know yeah um he said it's sort of testament to how slow the courts are as well he just hadn't he, he compared it to clay obviously and then chuckled a bit um saying he didn't like it so you know Medvedev did let him into the match but credits to Dimitrov he did deserve to win there so it wasn't totally I would I would say it was more a blip than anything else and I think Medvedev will be fine basically. yeah I mean I'm not overly concerned so I think yeah. it's one of these freak situations that maybe happens once out of ten times, you know, that you play. Um, so yeah, I'm not not concerned about him. Yeah, exactly. I think he'll be fine in Paris and the World Tour Finals, where he probably the conditions will suit him a lot better. So, um, one loss I was a bit concerned about, or I would be concerned for the recipient of the loss, is uh, Zverev v Brits, because that was a little yep. bit of a mental blow, I would say. Yeah, it was the serve again. I just don't understand. It's very frustrating when I watch him at times because it's like, um, I, I, even it's, it seems trivial, but in the first set, he goes two love up, 30 love up, and I'm thinking, well, he can really stamp his authority here in the first set and really run away with this. And, you know, from 30 love up, makes a couple of sloppy errors, gets broken. It's like, made it more difficult for himself even when he won that first set. Um, mm-hmm. And then when he was serving out for the match, it was the same problems. He was clearly getting tight in his serve. Um, I don't know about Zverev. It's an interesting one. I watched him in Australia in the quarterfinal against Djokovic, and I felt tactically he's not quite there. I don't think he's as, as intelligent a player as yeah. terms of thinking on his feet as say a Medvedev. Um, I think he's not doesn't fully um he doesn't fully understand the tactical ramifications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I that's interesting you say that, Gav, because I did an analysis of Zverev's match against Djokovic in the Olympics, and it's quite difficult to come up with a you know, an end strategy that isn't just absolutely hammer the ball as hard as you can to mm. to blow Djokovic off the court because that is kind of what he did to beat him. And yep. certainly in the US as well, where, you know, he came quite close, but he couldn't quite do it. I, I kind of got the same impression. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think about the Paris final last year and I think about we went to set up in Medvedev and then Medvedev changed it up, but there was no real reaction from Zverev in terms of, okay, Medvedev's changed it, I'll change my tactic. There was no real tactical change and he loses the match, you know. I think um, something you'll have to work on uh, because, you know, you can't, when you're playing these players like Djokovic and and, um, Medvedev, you can't just go in there with one plan and when they change it up, you can't just continue to to, to do that one thing because it's just not going to work. Um, not, not against the best players in the world. The I mean, obviously, when you're Definitely. playing maybe 30th in the world, that's different. But, like, yeah. top three, top two, you can't do that. Yeah, obviously there's not much wrong with playing more instinctually, instinctively, sorry, than yeah. tactically. Somebody like Basil Ashvili is somebody who does that as well. You know, it makes sense to sort of go for the ball when you get a chance. But yeah, certainly against the better guys, it might cost him. I think in this match, yeah, it was more, it was more old ghosts coming back to haunt him. Yeah, it was a second, it was a serve, wasn't it? That, that was yeah. a real problem. Mm-hmm. And- certainly at 30 all, he, I, he really shouldn't have done this, but somebody jeered him in the crowds like just before we serve when i watched it i, I kind of thought yeah get on you but you need to back this up and he didn't back it up that was i know yeah so if, you know if he wins that match on twitter everyone's gonna say oh look how mentally tough he is you know he sounds in the crowd and since he lost it they're like oh look why was he doing that you know it's like one of these things a lose-lose situation exactly yeah so it was i think it was it was for anybody who didn't see it with 30 all ace 
he silenced the crowd, sort of did the shh, and then 40-30, it was a double fault. So he just totally shot himself in the foot. It was a really, I don't know, it was a really brash move, I think. It's I don't think it was move. necessary. I the frustration. I mean, he, he wants the crowd to shut up. I wanted him to shut up as well, but, like, you know, you need to back it up. He didn't back it up. And, you know, inevitably now we're here, sitting here three days later, talking about serve again. Whereas yeah. if he gets through that, it's like, oh, look how much he's improved. So it's like, mm-hmm. unfortunate. But, you know, again, like I was thinking about this, you know, he's not won the slam. He's not made a slam final this year, you know, which is actually, when you think about it, sits the pass. And um, Medvedev, Medvedev's got his first slam since pass was a set away from his first slam. It's like, for as good a season that he's had, he's had a lot of tough losses. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about the French Open semi, thinking about the Australian Open quarterfinal, which I, I thought he should have dealt with that match a bit better. And then when you think of Wimbledon, bad loss on paper to Ojalasim, even though Ojalasim played very well. Yeah. And you go to um US and he loses to Djokovic in five, and he was a strong favourite. I I put him as the favourite for that after winning the Olympics and uh, dominating in Cincinnati. So it's kind of he's had a good year, but in yeah. the slams he's still not quite found it. I just don't think he's a best of five player yet. I I, th- I think is is a very good argument to make. He's the best best of three player this year, but yeah. I, just, I just don't think he's he's not there in best of five that's it yep. definitely no. and I really hope if this match you know this match could have repercussions definitely if that second serve starts to sort of become loose again it could it could have a yeah, lot of issues could have been in the back of his mind he thought I'm the strong favourite to win this if I get through mm-hmm. this I should be winning this title and maybe that got to him but I don't know I mean yeah. it's strange because I just don't understand the lack of confidence if you've won the titles that he has at the age remember he was very young when he won his first Masters you know and he, he's won those big tournaments I don't understand how it's just not clicking for him in those moments how he's getting so tight when he knows he can do it knows he can get over yeah. the line in big tournaments for for people who don't know by the way it was Taylor I don't know if we've said Taylor Fritz beat, beat him yet but um, he, yep. he beat him after having uh, after Zverev having two match points against him so it was, it was a very close match obviously Um. One thing I'd like to say before we talk about the last member of the new big three, that's what you mm. want to call them. Taylor Fritz, after the surgery he's had, is moving like a dream on the court. He's yeah. so quick. I think he could be top 15. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I told you, I think a few weeks ago, that I thought he was underachieving for the weapons that he had. And obviously now he's you know, showing everyone what he can do. Um so, so I think, uh, yeah, you're right, top 15, top 10, maybe, if he continues. Maybe to top play. 10. I don't know who he's taking the place of as well on the problem. Um, um, yeah, that's a good I, point. But yeah, th- this this tournament, he beat Berrettini, Sinner, and Zverev. Who else did he beat? Well, they're, they're the biggest names he beat anyway. Yeah. Yeah, massive deal. Um, if, if he can move like this moving forward, if he can move like this moving forward and he doesn't you know, have issues with his movement in general, I think he could be a massive threat going in, into the future tournaments. Um, yeah, so last last one sits mm-hmm. the pass, losing to Basil Ashville in yep. the quarterfinals. Yep. What did you think there? Was that all Basil Ashville or was it sits the pass? Well, I thought sits the pass. Being honest, uh, when I looked at Medvedev um, going out, I thought this is a great chance for him because again, it's slower court. It doesn't expose his back to return as much. But I, I do think actually Basil Ashville did um, in that match. Uh, I thought sits the pass got off to a very sloppy start. I never thought he found his best tennis all week, but I thought he'd be able to fight his way through it. And um, yeah. when he got to the final, he'd maybe improve. But like evidently, Sitsipas still struggling in that backhand return, which is a real problem for him because you know mm. it's an area that players are going to expose, and not even the, just the top ten players, but guys with big serves can easily 
get three points on that side. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. inter- I was going to say it's interesting, obviously, on Clay earlier in the year, he he remedied that by running around everything that he hit instead of hitting any back. You've got the time basically. in the faster going the hard courts, you just don't have the time to do that either. I bet that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the thing. It's odd that, you know, it's quite a slow court, but, it, you know, technically he still it just doesn't feel like he can do that on a, a hard court i guess yeah or, or i don't know if it's more that he couldn't he didn't feel like he could hit through the core i, I don't know like there's a few things going on slicing a bit more slicing deep in the court then if he can't hit through it but yeah so that's a bit of a concern but um he's still got quite a garbage slice gap i would i would say <laughs> i mean yeah it's a, it's a garbage slice for maybe top five yeah top yeah. Five level but um yeah, disappointing. I think um, that was a chance for him to win win a title there. Um, I thought he would have found his best level as he you know got to the end of the tournament, but evidently just never got comfortable. And fair play to Baslash, Baslash really absolutely smashes the ball with ridiculous pace, and you know he's always going to be a handful whoever mm-hmm. plays him. You know, it's what one of the most dissimilar average backhand speeds. In yep. the tournament there, uh, Basil Ashfilly was able to hit an 82 mile an hour average backhand against Sitsipas, and Sitsipas hit 70 miles an hour. So yeah. I think well, that, that it could be that matchup as well. In particular, I don't think the one-hander was quite working against Basil Ashfilly's power from the back of the court. No, and obviously, obviously Basil Ashfilly was having a bit of an on day as well, which always helps. An on week, really. Yeah. An on week, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I think... Bottom line, we kind of felt like a lot of the, the problems that the new big three, as I'm dubbing them, all those problems were kind of caused by themselves. Maybe sits the past, we can kind of let off the hook, but Medvedev and Zverev. Yeah, they kind of played themselves into trouble a wee bit, mm-hmm. didn't they? Yeah. Um, Baslash really, I mean, he's he's always going to be a handful for like likes of sits the past, but yeah, I mean, you'd expect sits the past to be it a wee bit better. He did, especially in a slow court. It's not like a fast US Open court or whatever. You know, it's very slow conditions. But um, yeah, yeah. Right, one thing I want to just speak about quickly, if you'll allow me, um, before we move on to the final. Not a quiz, is it? No, it's not. Don't worry, yeah, it's not. not. <laughs> it's just a bit of a Andy Murray, but <laughs> oh, yeah, fan, fan, fanness basically. Uh, I was going to talk a bit about his match against Alcaraz and just how positive that match was for him, basically. Mm. I thought him winning that match was a, a very, very positive sign for him. Basically, I thought it was one of the first matches all year where he had sort of fought back from a losing position, you know, losing the first set and being able to change the dynamic of the match. So I think Humber was the last guy he beat from a set down, but I was mm. sort of arguing in my analysis from my blog. Basically, that, that match, match's dynamic didn't really change. Andy was winning more points than Humber from the get-go. We just kind of lost a tight first set. This match, Alcaraz was absolutely hammering the ball. Andy was kind of struggling to win points against him, and he was able to to change the momentum. He really dug deep, and it looked like physically there was absolutely zero issues, which yeah, was no, amazing. Was really good. Um, I, I just think the issue, um, me being negative again, but like when he won that match, it was such a long match. I thought, yeah, this is he's not making a. You know, he's not going to get further. I knew that Sverev would win against him, but like that match, if you, if you view it like just from that match standpoint, unbelievable level that he's able to yeah that in his movement was really good. There was no real glitches in his movement. You know, he he, he was moving fine. Um, and he had chances against Sverev. He did. He was a break up and stuff. But yeah, again, yeah. that goes back to is he as good now under pressure than he is than he was before? And that that's where I would maybe say no because you've noticed it. Um, 
when he's had like matches against her catch in Cincinnati, three or four wins in Salem. I think now when it gets to the pressure moments, he's either maybe tensing up a wee bit, maybe that's affecting his body, or maybe it's because of the fact that it means more to him now, that, that he knows that everything, you know, never take anything for granted in terms of when you're in a winning situation. Maybe he's working himself up a wee bit, but the, that match was really, really positive and um, great match as well. Unbelievable ball striking from both from the rallying mm-hmm. in the back of the court. I mean, that looked like it was looked like for like a brief moment, Murray was like, that was him perfect physically, you know what I mean? Like physically yeah. perfect, no issues. Old Murray from like 2016 again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Like Andy did say himself that his decision making, I think, is, is the, the quote I would, I would. Point to he said his decision making has been a bit off in the pressure moments, so it's, yeah. it's it's kind of working that muscle again. You know the sort of mental muscle of being able um, to, being able to, to know ex- yeah. yeah yeah exactly to, to know exactly what to do, and, and that will come again. He said it himself, and we've said it as well. And it is coming with matches like yeah, the more he's playing. Play, yeah, he should be like yeah. a two fifty man at the moment. He should just be playing yeah. tons of two fifties. That's what I've been doing if I were him. And he's in Antwerp this week, obviously. You know, yeah. against TFO and potentially Schwartzman if he's through that. Not a brilliant so, draw for him. I know, yeah, yeah. In fairness, if he, I don't know, I, I, I quite like those matchups. I guess they're tough matches, but they're oh, not the. To watch. I mean, yeah, they will be good to watch. Good to gym point of view, but for him, I bet he's like, can I not just have one week off? Like, we're actually going to qualify. I don't know. I'm, fe- I'm feeling good about those matchups. I think, I think, I think it'll be okay. I think the TFO match he had recently isn't quite indicative of how he can play against him, and then Schwartzman mm-hmm. as well. I think it's quite a good matchup for him. But yeah, they're going to be tough. Matches either way, Gab, I agree. So it's not looking good from a physical standpoint, I'd say that much. So. Mm, it'll be entertaining to watch. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, bottom line, yeah, he was good. He what he did look good this week. I know he said he played quite against Sverre, but yeah. <laughs> he's still I yeah. think physically I think the fact physically he's looking good and he's he's having moments he's having more moments of brilliance is mm. is is really uh enthusing for me, definitely. It's positive, yeah, it's so positive. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the final. Yep. Cam Cam Norrie winning Indian Wells. I think um, you were saying beforehand, Gav, maybe we could just quickly cover where mm-hmm. Cam Norrie has been to get to this point. Because well, a lot of people... He's had a phenomenal year. I mean, if you actually, if you've watched um, Follow the Tour all year, he's he's done it on all surfaces. You know, he looked, he's made a final on every single surface. He's won his first title, so he's got over that hurdle, um, mm-hmm. which he wasn't able to do in Estoril, where he lost kind of a heartbreak against Ramos Vinyelas. And I was yeah. thinking, God, you know, if he doesn't win a, he doesn't win another title soon, or doesn't get into another final soon, how much is that going to play in his mind? Because he had a real chance to win that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you watch him at Queens, played great tennis there, lost to Berrettini. Wasn't too surprised at that because grass courts, Berrettini's game. Before Queens, he also had a final in Lyon against Tsitsipas. Yeah, that's, so he, yeah. so he made he made three finals fairly quickly, one after mm-hmm. another, basically. I I, I think. Against Berrettini and Tsitsipas, you kind of let him off the hook. I think if he was playing Ramos Vinolas now, he would beat him. That was the sort of match that he wasn't ready to win, yeah. I would say so much. Um, yeah, maybe, but, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah. I was going was, was to say, point is, you know, he was building, he, he just kept ticking off the achievements, basically, you know, another 250 final, first 500 final, um, and then eventually got his first title in Los Cabos against Nakashima. Nakashima. Yeah. Then they had another final, and, you know, he was just, he was he was just on hard courts as well, of course. You know, like he was he was establishing himself as one of the best players in the world, regardless of what surface he was on, basically. And for him to, I think the the penny dropped for me last week when he beat Andre Rublev in San Diego. 
And I was yeah. like, you know, that this guy really could beat anybody anywhere yeah. at the moment. Definitely. No, no, he's just, I think he's, he's just playing really well. I mean, if you look at his game, it's quite good. You know, it's like loopy, topspin forehand, very flat backhand in his serve. What I'd like to talk about is how smart, intelligent he, like, he serves. You know, he, he doesn't have the biggest serve, but he hits his spots really well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, notice that in the pressure moments against Dimitrov in the semi-final, for example, when he, when he had to save great points and stuff, he was always living first serves either out wide or if it was down the tee hit a very specific spot where it was difficult for Dimitrov to get the return back into an aggressive position. Mm-hmm. So like, I think he, the way he uses his serve, probably, possibly one of the most intelligent servers in the tour. I'd maybe even be comfortable saying that. I think the way yeah. he's able to think his way through service games, rather than just blowing you know, the serve at 130 mile an hour, which he's not able to do, just the way he's able to intelligently think his way through situations, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I think if I was going to sum up exactly what has improved for Cam Norrie, and this is taking his 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 own like quotes as well. This is what he said. So after his Dimitrov win, he said he's made a conscious conscious decision to be more aggressive in the bigger moments. I'd agree with that. Definitely, he looks more comfortable and confident when he's facing a break point. He said he's improved the fundamentals, the serve and return. So basically saying it's not necessarily anything from the baseline. He's always had that. He's always had the long capacity to play. You know, thirty shot rallies against the best guys on the yeah. tour. He's yeah, he's saying he's hitting his spots and he's finding a lot more returns in the court. So, yeah, spot serving, definitely. He's doing that a lot better, Gav. And he's finding a lot more returns. He's making a lot more returns, full stop. I think earlier in the year, actually, he was more aggressive with his returns. And as the years progressed, I think he feels more comfortable going into long rallies because everybody else on the tour seems exhausted. It seems like he's he's just arrived on tour, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he doesn't look knackered at all when he's playing these guys so I think he's just willing to go for as long as he can one thing he said as well actually yeah. I, he almost said he brought guys into down to the way he's played but I think he said the exact the exact quote he said was he brings guys in the way into the way he's played a bit more so for me he is kind of saying yeah the momentum of the match and stuff yeah yeah definitely yeah he's controlling the dynamic of the match he's making people play long rallies he's actually having a easier service games than he used to as well a lot easier service games because yeah. of that spot serving those tiny little improvements are the sort of improvements that get you from you know number seven in the world at the start of the year to now number 12 I think, it's, I think it's 12 now yeah or is it 13 13 number 13 on the live rankings top, cover all bases it's top 20 he's in there yeah 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 definitely top 20 anyway yeah and uh set to to go or no actually Fedra's uh ranked below him now sorry so i thought he had one more ranking spot to go up at least but Finally, Fedra is outside the top 10. <laughs> yeah, I know. Finally. <laughs> um, one thing I'd say about Cam Norrie's year, so a lot of people will say, oh, well, he's not really performed at the slams. You know, when you're ranked by the 25 in the world or so, you get tough draws at slams. So in the third round, I think he played Rafa twice, played Fedra once, and okay, he played Alcaraz once at the US, but that was a pretty tough draw because Alcaraz was just announcing himself. Yeah, I think the worst match of the year that he played was against Federer at Wimbledon, unfortunately. Like, that was what I felt was the, the worst he'd probably played. Um, Federer, makes, that was, Federer makes that happen, to be it fair. Does happen. Yeah, it was a big moment for him, centre court, all the attention. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean, other than that match, I think every time I've watched him play, he's played, he's played well. You know, even in his defeats, he, he doesn't get slaughtered. Okay, San Diego final was the one time he really did, but, like, even in the Queen's final, for example, Berrettini had all the pop and the power. You know, he, he really hung on in there very well, and he didn't get didn't get totally outclassed at all. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. So obviously now he's ranked number thirteen in the world. For anybody who's not watched enough tennis, if he does, you know, the next slam, 
you know, if he's ranked seeded number 13 in the world, he would still come up against these guys in sort of the round of 16 or so. So you have to get a really big win early on in the tournament to go deep. So I think it's only now, within the last couple of months, that I see the potential for Cam to really pull off a big upset, to be fair, even before uh, yeah. the US, I wouldn't have said so. No, so. I agree, I agree. Uh, and if he win it, well, he's won this Indian Wells title now, so that's just going to increase his confidence even more. And um, in the pressure moments, you'd hope he'd be able to perform, you know, like he did in that final. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, outside of all the analysis stuff, Gav, what a win! I just, I really, you know, it's amazing for Cam to win a Masters title. There's loads oh, of people who haven't. I, I, I did a little tweet, Gav. I was gonna say I've done a little tweet on like the people who haven't won a Masters title yet, like Rublev and Berrettini and Rude and yep. Cam Norrie's won oh, a Masters title. Andy Murray has never won Indian Wells, for example. No, he hasn't. He Don't hasn't. I think never won Indian Wells. I think, uh, yeah, Greg Rosesky, He did not hasten to say. Uh, that Andy Murray hadn't won Indian yeah. Wales quite, <laughs> quite a number of times. Uh, yeah, uh, what an achievement. Well done, Cam. Seriously. Oh, I yeah. think hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan. In terms of big titles, I, I absolutely believe he will be in the sort of top 20 for a while. Yeah, I, I just I don't know how many more big titles he's going to win, but I'd love it to be loads. Mm. So we'll see. Yeah, no, that'd be good. Let's cover the women's side of Indian Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, to give you guys the final results in case you didn't see them. So it was Paula Bedosa, the Spaniard, beating Victoria Azarenka in a three-set epic, deciding set tie-break. definition of an epic, that one. Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. If you haven't seen it, watch some of it at least. I mean, I think it's the match of the year for me. I can't... Yeah, it's certainly up there. From both tours, I think it could be a nomination for that. It was just The ball striking was phenomenal. Definitely. Definitely. Final set tie break, the ball striking, jeez. Like, Definitely, yeah. yeah. I, we'll, we'll get on to that in a bit, though. I think um, we'll just cover a few of the other things that, that happened throughout the tournament. So, actually, quite a lot of the early stuff has already been covered. I, I think I'll just look at the sort of quarters and the, quarters almost, the semis yeah. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, quite similar to the men's, really, in terms of the, the oddness of the rankings that got through. We only had, I think Ange Jabeur was the highest ranked player that made it to the semis, and she's sort of number 12, 13 in the world at the time. She was against Paula Bedosa, and then it was Azarenka v. Ostapenko. Two slam champions, to be fair, testament to the depth of the women's game. Yeah, yeah. and well, another comeback from a certain breakdown. That seemed to be a recurring theme. It seemed to be a lot of matches where players would come back from a certain breakdown, and uh, Azarenka did that in a semi-final, so... Yeah, I, I just I, I'll cover a bit about that semi final first because that was also a really really good match. But mm. obviously, if you've watched any Ostapenko match, a lot of the tactics against her are just sort of weathering the storm. Yep. Um, and Azarenka did that amazingly well. And hope she doesn't take a medical time out at like five love down or whatever. Yes, mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> it was actually a really good match. Um, Ostapenko is such an amazing ball striker. Certainly in our match against Shelby Rogers. The, the match before in the quarters, she struck 51 winners against Rogers so, and recovered from 1 3, love 40 down. So amazing comeback. And just to see her hit the backhand in particular, so good. Um, but yeah, she came through that. And against Azarenka, she was very, very close. I think she was, you know, 4 5 or 5 4 ahead. Yep. Uh, not with a break of serve, but still quite a bad matchup for Azarenka because she likes to hammer that backhand cross court but that kind of sits right in Ostapenko's wheelhouse so you can hit yeah. it back even harder basically 
using so, the weight. Yeah, no, yeah, I know, yeah. but as a Rinker's attitude, I mean, just it, I just like really like her attitude in terms of the fact that, like, even for example, in the final, when she was like four love down in that opening set tiebreak, she's still clenching her fists, you know yeah. what I mean? When she's like, you know, even when she's behind, she's still got the mentality of, well, I can still come back and win. Fantastic inspiration, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I like, I, I'm such a fan of her, honestly. I, mm-hmm. I really, really wanted her to win that match. Again, sorry, jumping the gun there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just being honest, definitely. You know, if it was Andy, I would uh, be just as honest. Obviously, I think Azarenka is just such a man. Man, church in my case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so a really good match match against Otapenko. On the other side, for Bedosa to come through Jabour to get to the final, Bedosa had beaten so in beating uh, Jabour, sorry. She'd beaten four top 20 players in a row. So absolutely phenomenal achievement. I don't know if there's any other player in any tournament this year that's had to beat four top 20 players in a row to get to the final of a tournament. Can't think of any on the top of my head, no. No, like neither can I. And previous to this year, she'd been 0-5 and five against top 20 players after beating Jabur 10-3 this year. Wow. Amazing achievement. Seriously amazing. I was going to say, like, in beating, after beating Jabur, she'd also beaten Krajikova. Yes, Goff, yeah. Kerber, Goff this week. Like 54 minutes, something like that, dismantled Goff. Completely. Yeah. And obviously in the final as well, beating Azarenka, that is five amazing players to be. I don't know if there's been a tougher Masters run the yeah, whole year. Any. Yeah. Wow, that's that's so, like hell. That's like the, the draw from hell. That. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing match. Yeah, absolutely amazing run, sorry. Just a bit more about the, the match against Jabur. Sorry, I don't know how much of that you got to see, Gav. Jabur is, is, I'm a big fan of Jabur's. But it's quite hard to be as much of a fan of her when she has off days um, so frequently. I I wouldn't say she was she was terrible. She wasn't terrible by any means. Sorry, but the forehand yeah. does sometimes just go off the rails for portions of the match, and that was enough to to you know make it a sort of six three six three win mm. for Dosa, which is quite you know it's a quite a heavy loss in terms of you know two sort of top twenty esque players playing each other, but at the at the end of the day, it was quite close in other respects. So yeah, I think close, that close games, but maybe the scoreline, you know, again, yeah. you make those mistakes in the big moments, you know, the games are just going to go away from you. Gradually. Exactly. Then, you, then it looks like three and three straightforward, but inside the games, like in the service games themselves, are very close. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes all the difference, definitely. And there was there were some amazing moments in that match as well. If you've not seen the highlights, watch it because Shabur has always. Mm-hmm. You know, had their moments of magic, but Bedosa was just a little bit more powerful, a little bit more solid from the back of the court, <coughs> and it was enough basically to run away with it in the end. Going into the final, <coughs> Bedosa and Azarenka before the match. I'll be honest, I thought I thought Azarenka was going to win in straight sets. I agree. I actually thought that as well. Yeah, I was yeah. even getting the scoreline. I was even thinking four and four, something like that. Uh, like, yeah, I-, I was feeling those vibes as well. I was, I was proven wrong quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, story, story of the match though, like that first set, mega close again. Mm. You know, seven I didn't six. Think after that tie break, that could really prove to be the deciding factor. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I might, even though obviously she had a difficult run in the semi final and all that, and um, you know, because she's older than Bedoza as well. I thought from an energy point of view, it'd be difficult, but she she had full you know full energy up to the end of the match. It was just like. But those are just um, weathered the storm unbelievably well. And obviously, Azarenka was 30 love up serving for it, but then made those four on four errors. Maybe it's because she's not been in that situation in such a big title for a while. 
maybe mm-hmm. it just meant like the Murray thing. Maybe it just meant so much that oh, I can still get over the line after coming back. You know, obviously she's a mum as well, so maybe she was thinking, oh, you know, such a um, great milestone if I could win this title as a mother. Yeah. I don't know about that. Maybe it was, but like, yeah, it just made those unforced errors. And as soon as that happened, I thought for those probably got her here. I know, I know, I felt that way as well. And nerves definitely seemed to play a part in some of the unforced errors. Certainly mm. there was that forehand at 30 love up. I don't know if that was nerves necessarily, but just to see that get dumped in the net, if that if that went over the net then it was, was pretty close, I think, you know, should have won the point. Yeah. So it's yeah. tiny, tiny margins. Tiny mark, but yeah. Um but yeah, just back to that second set I was gonna say, so I, I was kind of expecting Azarenka to fall away a little bit as well but the energy mm. the, the athleticism of Azarenka is just so impressive yeah. and it was Bedosa that actually dipped so yeah the momentum it. changed unbelievably quickly you know very quick three love lead for Azarenka in that set and you know Bedosa tried to come back but I was like no Azarenka's got this and going into the final set I thought well I, I did think it would be quite a tight one because I, I didn't expect one player to just totally run away with it I thought Bedosa would come back and Azarenka would um, continue to play well and obviously you got that final set tie break where uh, I think Azarenka's record for that she hadn't lost a final set tie tie break since Madrid six years ago. Yes, yeah. Williams. And then obviously mm-hmm. that tie break just went to pot. You know, similar to the first set tie break, had a really bad start in it and never mm-hmm. really could come back. So that. that was I think eight of her last nine match yeah, tie breaks. Ridiculously good record. Yeah, it's such a shame. I think, but at the end of the day, Bedosa all year has been pushing for a breakthrough so it kind of was a long time coming and the level that she produced was oh, so high there's no doubt she deserved to win that because like the ball striking was phenomenal i think it was like 77 mile an hour forehands and all i was that. gonna say she's hitting the ball harder than quite a lot of the men um, yeah it was like the female would live like how hard she was yeah hitting. Mm-hmm. yeah it did, it, it, the, the spin she gets in the ball as well it's like the weight of the shot yeah, it's, is it's, good control on it you know it's never really even the errors are not like shocking shank unforced errors they're, they're maybe just wide or just long so um yeah no, that, that was a phenomenal match a great advertisement for tennis in general not just women's tennis but tennis in general yeah um, it's incredible no. yeah there'll, there'll probably be a more a few more fans of tennis in general after that match i agree i was gonna say a bit more on bedosa sort of knocking on the door all season she'd had mm. a lot of chances this year but one in belgrade first title wasn't it belgrade. yeah yeah she did yeah. win in belgrade i was gonna say that was one of the more positive things that happened this, mm-hmm. this year but she, she had a few sort of close calls that were maybe negative points that you know she didn't quite make it through like she had the quarters in Roland Garros against Zanzik i think she lost eight six in the third there yep. she made the same as in madrid as well obviously it's a good run but lost quite handily to the barty in the end she's she's been there and she's 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 been losing narrowly to big players, basically. The level, the level's always been consistent. Even when losing, she's played well in those matches. You know, she's not been totally destroyed. So it's like I think if a player can continue that level for like five, six months, even if they have losses, they're gonna if they keep knocking on the door, they will eventually push through. And that's what's happened with Nori as well. Even in the losses that he's had, he's continually knocked on the door, continued his level, and he's broken through as well. So I just think that's. The challenge is continuing to break, you know, continuing to play that level for five, six months rather than maybe two or three weeks. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the real challenge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say at the start of the year, I think Bedosa was ranked sort of sixty or so in the the world, maybe even seventy. Seventy it was seventy. Yeah. Yeah, and and now after well after winning the final, she'll be ranked number eleven in the world, I think. So the the way the 
rankings have shifted is maybe quite surprising to somebody who's not looked at it in a while. Certainly, yeah, the COVID ranking protection thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but I was also going to say so. Schwantek, for example, has moved to number twelve in the world, which is going to be below Bedosa. Schwantek, probably the most consistent slam player of the year. Somebody who's won the Rome Masters. Yep. She she goes from number four to number twelve, moving Krajicova to number four. It's bizarre. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Does it? The rankings. I've never got my head around the rankings. I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's like like the protected ranking thing from twenty nineteen and stuff. Like I think Federer was still in the top ten for a while when he wasn't even playing. It's like I, I don't really agree with it, but yeah, you can see why they've done it. But I think it's maybe was maybe in place for a bit too long when tournaments started coming back again. Yeah, I mean, Sean Tick, for example. You know, barely was on tour prior to September last year, basically. So yeah. that, you know, that's part of the reason she's not got three years worth of points contributing to her ranking compared to some of the higher ranked players. Basically, yeah. So, Tech does not deserve to be number twelve in the world, is my. Well, I think Holger is saying that as well on the men's side. Like he would have been ranked sixty four had there not yeah. been that protected ranking. He's currently, I don't know, he's maybe outside the top hundred. Don't know exactly, yeah, uh, exactly but he's you, inside the top 100. He said that's impacted him in terms of getting into tournaments yeah, and yeah, the draws he's getting. So it's, it's an interesting conversation to, to have. Yeah, you know, you can talk about a lot of the sort of hard done by players for yeah, hours I mean, and end, basically. You know, and... Go on Netflix, is a great documentary about Guillermo Villas and the rankings in the 70s. And, you know, he, some, a mathematician worked out that he would have been number one. But the ATP are refusing to give them the number one in retrospect and refusing to acknowledge it, despite the fact that the evidence is there. So really, yeah, it's yeah. Watch if you've got Netflix, give it a watch. Everybody's got Netflix, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a watch definitely. Called settling the score. Um, okay, yeah, I'll give it a watch definitely. Watch. I was gonna say about Bedosa. So number eleven in the world, she will probably definitely make her top 10 debut given Osaka is likely to drop out of the top 10 quite soon not playing yeah, tournaments Osaka plays again but it's not looking like uh, it's going to be I, in the immediate future anyway I, th- I thought she'd said she wasn't playing for the rest of the year I'm not 100% sure on that to well, be fair um, but it's not looking likely not either looking way. Likely. so yeah Bedosa will make a deserved top 10 debut shortly do you think just a little bit before we wrap up that mm-hmm. Cam could make a top 10 debut sooner rather than later I think he can, yeah. Um, I think definitely the opportunity to, especially when you see likes of her catch, um, he, had a, he had a defeat to Dimitrov, obviously, but I don't think players ranked maybe from 5 to 10 are totally unbeatable. I think you can get them. It's more, well, even well, you've seen this week the top five players are beatable as well. Like It's not mm-hmm. like the big four, which just can be dominance, dominance, dominance. You know, I think um, they are beatable. I think he's played well enough. Why not? You know, why can't he? He's certainly mm-hmm. playing as well as any of the top 10 at the moment in terms of just current form in the past week or so. So um, I think he can. Again, it needs to be said that uh, the big five didn't maybe play their best tennis that week, but I think the way he was playing, like he'd beaten Rublev in San Diego, as you said before, like a week before, two weeks before Indian Wells. So it's like the big win is there, the, the potential to win and beat these guys is there. And I don't see why he can't. No, I think he could be top 10. Um, yeah. And I hope he does make sure in. Just from a bias standpoint, I want to see him in Turin, but it's going to require a hell of an effort. Um, that'll be tough. Definitely. Tough to back it up in Vienna, and then you've got to play Paris as well. And, you know, just from a fatigue point of view, how tired is he going to be in the past couple of weeks, you know, making the final in San Diego, winning here? And then you need to have a good run in Vienna, Paris. It's going to be a lot of uh, 
energy sapped up but um yeah why not yeah well i would just say it's very strange for there to be two tournaments sort of back to back this time of year where the courts are so slow i I, it's gonna get faster as the year draws to a close it's not really gonna suit cam's game yeah obviously i'd love to see it but i i don't i personally don't see him making turin i don't think he will but i i hope he can i think he can be top 10 um but i Turin's going to be a bit of a stretch, but it does depend. I mean, if her catch goes off the boil or whatever, or Sinner goes off the boil, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, Cam's been proving people wrong all year. He's um, yeah. proven himself more than a one surface wonder. You know, he well, could he do could it. Play anywhere now. Yeah, he could play. Yeah, yeah. Cold exactly. Night in Scotland, he could play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, probably that would probably be an advantage for. Him, to be honest, actually, or uh, just saying that, Gav, uh, there is a. Um, Tournament on an Aberdeen, not a tournament, but a battle of the Brits in Aberdeen. Yeah, there, there, could, yeah. there could well be a cold night in Scotland. I'm sure it'll be indoors, probably. It's indoors, but, but it'll still be cold indoors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Might be damp as well, who knows? Uh, damp, yeah. <laughs> right, I think we've, we've covered anything else you want to cover just quickly? or well, I think we've covered that very well. Um, yeah, Wi Fi's it... held up for the hour, which is always positive. It wasn't looking like that a few weeks ago. So. Magically working, which is that's a win. Stunning. That's incredible. <laughs> I think that's made my day. That um, yeah, yeah. I think we can we can wrap up there. I think we've covered everything quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well done, Cam. Well done, Paula. Yep. Paula, even. What's on? What's coming up, Gab? Just before we Antwerp. I think this week, isn't it? On Prime. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Prime we've Prime. got we've got Antwerp coming up this year. Moscow. This week. Moscow, Moscow. Kremlin Cup, is it for the women? I, think, I, don't, I don't know what they call it that for the men. I think it's a joint event, isn't it? So um, it is. Does it get played at the same time? Or yeah, I think it's it's uh, played at the same time. Kremlin Cup, I think it's it's called the Kremlin Cup. I'm sure. Um, yeah. And other than that, is there any other event? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Tenerife as well. Tenerife. Big yeah. start change from Moscow to Tenerife. Now I love it. Love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so yeah, Moscow, Tenerife. And if you want to catch any of those, I'm sure we'll cover some of those in the next episode. Thanks very much for covering Indoor Wells with me, Gav. It's been a pleasure. For doing this podcast again, good to be on it. I'll do the usual. If you want to catch any of Gav's work, maybe catch him on Twitter, catch him in Last Words. You'll be able to understand what I'm writing instead of what I'm saying. Exactly, exactly. The usual stick. Thanks, Gav. (laughs) If you want to catch any of my work, go to jackedward.substack.com. And uh, if you want to get any of my gear, you can. I've got merch. Yeah, yeah, I've got merch now. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. I think I think you'll have to go to my Facebook page to click on the link because I don't have the hyperlink in front of me. But yeah, go to on the line facebook.com. Uh, I've got calendars. I've got postcards Oof. of uh, of artwork. Yeah, yeah. Oh, artwork I've, as well. An Andy Murray print as well. If anybody fancies that, thanks very much for listening to us, guys. All the best. We'll catch you next time on the yeah. on the yeah. line tennis podcast. Catch you next time. Thank you.